Well, hello everybody, and welcome to Demimond Paranormal Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Tori, from Demimond Paranormal. And tonight, we're going to do a double-parter, or a double-feature. The first half of tonight's episode will be about the history of Valentine's Day, but the second half will be about the haunting of the ever-so-famous Sally House in Atchison, Kansas. So join me, won't you, as we dive in deep to the pagan rituals that brought us Valentine's Day, as we know it from the ancient Romans, to the spooky and terrifying haunting of the Sally House. And before we get started on tonight's episode, I want to thank you guys so, so much for joining me for tonight. As you may or may not know, we do all new episodes each Friday or every other Friday. And each episode is a brand new topic. It could be about anything supernatural. This includes famous hauntings, um, different types of spirits, some type of folklore from the United States or all the way around the world. Anything supernatural, we'll cover it. Witches, we got you. Werewolves, we got you. Vampires, we've got you. You name it, if it's supernatural, we'll cover it here on Demimond Paranormal. So, with that being said, let's get started on tonight's episode. Let's dive in deep. everybody to the second episode of season two of Demimond Paranormal. How are you guys doing tonight? I hope you guys are doing really well. I hope that February of 2022 is treating you fairly sweetly as it is the month of Valentine's Day. And As you guys may or may not know, you probably don't know because I don't remember mentioning this on any of my other podcast episodes, that I actually really like Valentine's Day. I don't know what it is, but it is something that I've always enjoyed. Maybe it's because I've always liked the color scheme of the day, you know, the cream-colored ivory lace details on the hearts or the bright pinks and reds and the wine reds of the decorations and the cute little cupids and his little arrows. I don't know. I just really like this holiday. But if you have a significant other, make sure to make them feel really special. And give them lots and lots of chocolate and a pretty gift or something that will make them feel really, you know, good about themselves and make them feel like they are cared about. But in tonight's episode, we will be talking about Valentine's Day, of course, but we we will be talking about the history of Valentine's Day and how it all began, I mean, thousands of years ago. Our first 
topic for tonight is how Valentine's Day came to be. I mean, Valentine's Day had its roots that can be traced back to the Feast of Lupercalia, which was celebrated by the ancient Romans from the 13th of February to the 15th of February. Now, some of you may ask, what is Lupercalia? Well, in a nutshell, Lupercalia was an ancient pagan festival that was held each year in Rome. And sadly, unlike Valentine's Day, Lupercalia was a more of a bloody, violent, and sexually charged celebration that was awash with animal sacrifice and matchmaking, kind of like Valentine's Day, but not the same. And it also had to do with coupling in the hopes of warding off evil spirits and infertility. But we'll talk about that more in a little bit. So, the Feast of Lupercalia was also dedicated to Faunus, who was the Roman god of agriculture, and also the founders of Rome, Romulus and Remus. Now, to begin the festival, Roman priests called the Luperci would sacrifice a goat for the fertility and a dog for purification. They would gather in a sacred cave to do this. This was important because it was believed that Romulus and Remus were raised in a cave by a she-wolf. The priest would then strip down the goat's hide and dip it into the sacrificial blood. They would then walk the streets of Rome, gently whipping willing women with the strips of blood-soaked goat's hide. The priests would not only slap the women, but they would also slap the crops in the fields as well to help ensure a healthy, you know, harvest. And this was thought to make the women more fertile, fertile in the upcoming year. Later on that day, the young women would place their names in a huge urn, and the city's most eligible bachelors would draw a name from the urn, and that chosen woman would be paired with the man who drew her name for one year. Now these drawings usually ended up in marriage, ideally of course, but not all the time. At the end of the 5th century, the festival of Lupercalia met its end, and it was deemed as unchristian by the church. Valentine's Day was then declared as February 14th by Pope by Pope Gelasius. As we may or may not know, Valentine's Day was also called Saint Valentine's Day because there was a number of Christian martyrdom stories stories that were associated with this day. St. Valentine's Day originated as a feast to honor early Christian martyrs who were both named Valentine. For example, in the 3rd century, St. Valentine was imprisoned for ministering to prosecuted Christians under the Roman Empire. Now, according to legend, it was believed that St. Valentine had restored the vision of his jailer's daughter's eyes. To link the day more to love and affection, in the 18th century, in addition to restoring his jailer's daughter's eyesight, 
He was thought to write the daughter a letter, signed, and he signed it with your Valentine. In addition to the legend of St. Valentine, was that he used to perform wedding ceremonies to Christian soldiers who were forbidden to marry. As mentioned before, the Feast of St. Valentine was established by Pope Gelasius in AD 496 to honor St. Valentine, who died on the 14th of February in AD 269. February 14th became associated with love, and especially in the 14th and 15th centuries. This was when courtly, courtly love flourished and it became associated with the love boards of the spring. In the 18th century in England, it became an occasion to profess your love to somebody on February 14th by sending them flowers, sweets or confectionaries, and cards known as valentines to that special someone. But in Norfolk, England, there was a character named Jack Valentine who would deliver gifts and sweets to children after he knocked on the rear door of houses. Although Jack Valentine would leash treats and goodies for the children, a lot of kids feared him. As the legend goes, no one knows what Jack Valentine looks like or where he came from. Nobody knows how old he is either or why he has still never left Norfolk. This is still a legend that still lives in Norfolk to this day. For at least 200 years, Jack Valentine has visited the town of Norfolk on February 13th or Valentine's Eve, similarly to Santa Claus in December. Jack Valentine works tirelessly in the black of night, delivering small gifts and sweets to the thresholds of houses. It's said that if you're quick enough to answer the door after his knock, you may just be able to catch a glimpse of Jack Valentine, but no one has been able to do so. Yet, however, the legend of Jack Valentine and his gift-giving is sometimes described as unpredictable. His more affectionate gifts include faces, shawls, extravagant jewelry boxes, or even a writing desk or two. However, Jack's gifts could be a bit crueler, and he could be a bit of a prankster. He is also known to leave gorgeous, extravagant boxes, but inside there's just some gibberish written on the inside of the box, and he leaves them on the outside of people's doors. And sometimes even, he will tie a gift on a string and knock on the door, and when somebody tries to retrieve their gift, he yanks it away in a cruel prank. You also even leave coal, similar to Santa Claus, if a child is being naughty. Jack not, not only leaves gifts for lovers and children, but people of all ages, big and small, young and old. Jack is a character that is exclusively known in Norfolk and Norwich. Originally, the Day of Love was not February 14th, but March 12th which is also known as St. Gregory's Day, or March 22nd, or February 22nd, sorry for that, which was also known as St. Vincent's Day. 
Now, St. Anthony was the patron of love, and his day was celebrated on June 13th. Now we're on to Cupid. Now, all of you guys probably know who Cupid is, but Cupid to the Romans was always depicted as a chubby, cherubic baby boy. He always wanted to follow his mother's orders. His mother was Venus, the goddess of love, also known as Aphrodite in Greek mythology. And her wishes were to make people fall in love. By the 17th and the 18th centuries, Cupid had become associated with Valentine's Day. He was and still is used to symbolize love with his golden arrows and arch. Sometimes his image is just a heart that is pierced with one of his arrows. So in short, yes, Cupid is the Roman god of love. And by the middle of the 18th century, it became common to send and receive handwritten notes and small tokens from lovers and friends. But by the 20th century, printed valentines were made available and they began to replace these handwritten letters with words that expressed loving emotion in a more upfront sort of way, which this was not encouraged at the time. Americans began exchanging valentines in the 1700s and in the 1840s, Esther A. Howland became the mother of the valentine when she started making mass valentines with colorful pictures, lace, and ribbons. Now this was known as scrap. On average, the Greeting Card Association sells 145 million cards a year, roughly. Now that's a lot of Valentine's cards. Valentine's Day is second in the whole card selling business up next to Christmas time. And that concludes our Valentine's Day history segment for tonight's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. And now we're on to the haunting of the Sally house. So you know we've got to add the sweet with the salty or the sweet with the sour. Hope you guys stay tuned for part two of this episode. Well, all right, all right, all right. And welcome back to the second part of tonight's episode, The Haunted Sally House. Now, a lot of you guys may have heard of The Sally House. I mean, it's been featured on so many TV shows and YouTube videos and articles and stories that were shared on Facebook, Twitter, probably Instagram, anything you can name, basically. But The Sally House is, as you can imagine, is considered to be one of the most haunted houses in America. It's located in Atchison, Kansas, which is about 50 miles from Kansas City. Now, the Sally House's hauntings, it's a sinister hauntings, um, came to local and national light in 1993 after a young couple moved into the house, which was seemingly harmless. It just looked like a 
harmless brick house, nice little white house. And this happened to a newly married couple. And Tony Pickman began to feel unexplained scratches either on his chest or his or on his abdomen. But however, it would also be Tony who would experience being lifted up into the air by unseen forces and thrown back down again near the staircase of his home. And in a nutshell, as the story goes, the ominous events actually took place or they actually began in the 1870s after a doctor lived in the house years before the Pickmans and the doctor actually worked in the house as well. According to the townspeople, the doctor would even perform surgeries in the house. Interestingly enough, one night a desperate mother showed up to the doctor's doorstep with a sick six-year-old girl who was named Sally. After examining the child, he diagnosed her with appendicitis as she was complaining of abdominal pain. He decided to operate immediately without any type of anesthesia. It said that the little girl had died while on the operating table, and now her spirit haunts the infamous Sally House. So after I just gave you guys a little tidbit about the Sally House, let's dive in a bit deeper and get the details behind this haunting and what the Pickman family actually went through. So as we said before, the stories surrounding the haunting of Sally House did not receive national attention until the 90s, the mid-90s. But when the Pickman family moved into the home, it wasn't long after when Tony and Deborah began experiencing odd occurrences such as disembodied voices and physical attacks on Tony. And strangely enough, strange burnt finger marks were visible on mysteriously lit candles. After a few extensive investigations by the Kansas Paranormal Group, they discovered that the ghost of little Sally, who tra tragically died of appendicitis that night, is not the only spirit to inhabit the house. There is also a ghost of a middle-aged woman who seems to be the one behind the more terrifying attacks. But who is she? Nobody knows. The very town of Atchison is seemingly steeped in ghostly activity. In the 1800s, the house became a center of transportation, as it became a railway hub. With the addition of stately homes, ghostly experiences and strange occurrences happened regularly. Atchison thrives on paranormal enthusiasts, paranormal investigation teams, thrill-seekers, and the town even holds haunted events in the fall. Now, remember the doctor you mentioned before? Well, his name was Dr. Charles Finney, who lived and worked in the home. After a panicked mother brought her six-year-old daughter to his doorstep, he examined the small child and he feared that she had appendicitis. He feared that the organ would not be removed in time to save Emily, to save Sally, so they, he decided to begin the surgery before anesthesia kicked in. 
Little Sally died horribly that night, when her screams finally ceased and she was declared dead. As for the Pikmin family, when they moved into the home, they noticed that her dog seemed to growl at nothing, and there were unexplained cold spots in the home as well. Also, when the personal attacks on Tony Pikmin began, inexplicable fires broke out into the house as well. The, the Sally house was originally built for Michael Finney and his family. It's 1,200 square feet with two bathrooms and three bedrooms, and the future generations of the Finney family would continue to live into the house until 1947. Now, four family members of the Finney family had died in the house, and the Sally house did go through a plethora of owners. None, however, were as memorable as the Pikmin family. The house is currently sitting empty, but you can still take a tour of the home at just $18 a person, but you must be 18 years of age or, or older. Although nothing particularly has violent happened to anybody who has toured the house. So you as a visitor should be fine. But you know, just be cautious. I mean it had just because physical attacks haven't happened recently doesn't matter doesn't mean that it won't happen. So just be careful if you do decide to visit the house. Anyway, almost every form of paranormal activity has been reported from inside the Sally House, and that's why it's so popular. The Sally House was featured on Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, A Haunting, Most Haunted Town, My Ghost Story, Sightings, and Unexplained Mysteries. The activity in the house at times was so severe that the spirits in the house were deemed as demonic. Some believe that the house may have become some type of supernatural portal that allows more spirits of all nature to come and go as they please. People who have been inside the house report hearing scratching on the walls and a full-bodied apparition of a little girl who is believed to be Sally. Objects have seemed to move on their own and the sounds of disembodied voices of women, children, and men can be heard. But wait, there's even more. There's also been the reports of sounds of furniture being moved all around, and even possessions along with physical attacks. Now, there are two accounts regarding the death and haunting of little Sally in the house. Now, the first version is the one we heard about little Sally who, you know, had appendicitis when her mother brought her to Dr. Finney's doorstep. But the other account, it goes a little bit differently. Now, the other version of the story is that Dr. Finney was having an affair with an African-American housemaid and he had a child with her. But when the little girl was about six years old, one day she came complaining of abdominal pain and he decided to perform 
surgery in the house. Now, obviously, this little girl had the same problem as what they were recalling in the other version of this, this story. They thought that she had died of appendicitis. But Dr. Finney decided to perform the surgery in the house because he did not want the story of his extramarital affair to get out. He wanted to keep it a secret. So that's why he decided to keep the child in the house where he performed a botched surgery and the little girl died on the operating table. In, adi in addition to all that, there is apparently no factual proof of a child named Sally dying in the home, however. But interestingly enough, in the early 2000s, a drawn pentagram was discovered in the basement, and there was evidence of satanic rituals found on the property as well. In the master bedroom, a luminal test was conducted, and evidence of blood splatter was found in the closet along with a bloody sweater. However, the bloody sweater was found in the attic. But on the walls of the master bedroom, satanic sigils were found as well. And now I'm going to take you guys into a deeper account of what the Pickman family witnessed and what they experienced while living in the Sally house. Now, the Pickman family, they were a young, recently married couple who moved into the home in 1992. It was December and Deborah was pregnant with her first child, a boy. They were happy and hopeful, but unfortunately, that would not last. Mild but strange activity began in the house only one month after the Pickmans had moved in. The lights would dim for no apparent reason. The animals would act strangely, such as the dog would bark at seemingly nothing, and toys would turn on by themselves. After the birth of their son, the, ex the activity ramped up and strange mold began to grow on various household items for seemingly no reason. The baby would wake up at odd hours, and according to a neighbor, the nursery lights stayed on all night even after the parents had shut them off to let their baby rest. One day as Deborah returned home, she walked into the nursery to find stuffed animals that she had previously put away, all arranged in a circle on the floor of her son's bedroom. After a particularly frightening evening, the Pickman family decided to stay with other relatives for the night. But as they were leaving, Tony felt a strange, intense, burning sensation on his back. As he lifted up his shirt, he discovered that he had sustained three long scratches down his back. So shortly after this attack, the Pickmans sought help from the psychic medium Deborah Barbara Connors, who, would, who came to the home to get a better understanding of what was going on in the home. Barbara Connors assessed that there was a spirit of a little girl named Sally inhabiting the house. 
and she did most of her hauntings to get the attention of the family. She was lonely. With the advice of Barbara, the couple tried to embrace the spirit of Sally, little Sally. They tried to treat her as a daughter, a little ghost daughter, if you will. <laughs> Despite all of this, the physical attacks on Tony continued, and during a birthday party of their sons, a doll was actually set ablaze mysteriously. After two years of living in fear, the Pickman family moved out, and Deborah Pickman had gone to admit that she does not believe the spirit of Sally was a little girl at all, but she rather believes that it was a demon, masquerading as a child in order to gain the trust of the family. So that is the story of the Sally House Haunting. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. So, in conclusion, I would say that there is at least something strange going on at the Sally House. And also, the house is open to visitors for a few hours a day. You could go on a self-guided tour, an overnight stay even, or you could do a daytime guided tour or a supervised tour. It's all up to you and what you want to do. I would advise doing an overnight stay. You never know what you'll experience. Though, however, you may not know what you experience with a guided tour. But my personal opinion about the Sally House is, I mean, it could be exactly what Deborah Pickman said. It could be some, some type of evil spirit or demon, if you will that is trying to trick people into believing that there is a spirit of a little girl who you know is lonely and just wants a family or it could be something more sinister as we mentioned before with the spirit of a middle-aged woman who seemingly is behind the more malicious attacks i mean the woman could have been part of the finney family because as we mentioned before that family lived in the house from the 1800s through the late 1940s. I mean, and four members of that family died in the house. It could have been a member of that family who's mad about something. I tried to figure out whoever the woman could have been through various sources online, but I haven't been able to find any, you know, concrete evidence of that. And, however, I just want to mention that it could be just as well as some people believe that the Sally House is a supernatural portal. I mean, who's to say that these spirits don't have anything to do with this house? And there's some spirits that are coming through who have no history with the house and no, you know, connection with the house, but they're there just across realms of time. Who knows? Some spirits are good, some spirits are bad. What do you guys think? Leave a comment down when I post this episode. I would like to know your opinions. And if you guys have ever visited the Sally house, I mean, there's a reason why it's been so visited and it's been so famous and featured on all these episodes of Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters, you know, na you name it. But, yeah. You guys let me know if you guys 
have ever, you know, visited this house or you live near this house and you have an experience, let me know. I think I read somewhere on, like, TripAdvisor or, like, one of those Google reviews that somebody came out and said, hey, I live near this house and, you know, I'm pretty much haunted as well. I wake up with bruises and, you know, I hear disembodied voices and I see people, full-body apparitions. I mean, they say that that town is haunted and it probably is. So that about does it for tonight's episode. I will see you guys in the outro. I want to thank you guys so, so much for joining me for tonight's episode. And hopefully you guys enjoyed your experience listening to the history of Valentine's Day and the haunting of the Sally House enough to join me next week for an all-new episode of Dummy Mond Paranormal. As always, I'm your host, Tori, and I want to wish you guys a good night and have a great week. Stay safe, make good choices, and as always, stay spooky. And before we sign off, I just want to mention that Next week's podcast episode might be about the Old Alton Bridge. Some of you guys may know this bridge as the Goatman's Bridge in Lantana, Texas. If you guys have any experiences about that bridge or the legend behind it, let me know down in the comments as well. It might be the topic for next week's episode i'm not sure nothing's in stone but it probably will be on the list of topics to cover for a podcast so hopefully that will be interesting enough to cover so with that being said anyway good night everyone stay spooky and i'll see you again real soon sweet dreams Oh, and I forgot to mention, Happy Valentine's Day.